0: We're gonna be reading in Romans chapter eight, 14 through 16, if you turn there. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received Brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is God's Word. Thanks, Pete. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Park Hill Church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Bree, and I'm one of your community pastors. And I'm really excited to just be here sharing this morning. So this morning we are continuing in our series, Receive the Holy Spirit. And like David said, I'm believing that God has a word for us this morning. So just take a deep breath in as we receive from the Holy Spirit this morning from his word. This week we're gonna be spending time in Romans 8, like we just read, talking about the Spirit's role in ministering our identity as children of God, the Spirit's role in ministering our identity. Uh, The internet has made a way for global news outlets, social media platforms, and all sorts of influencers to have daily, even hourly influence in our lives, right? As we uh, swipe and scroll, thousands of voices compete for our attention to tell us who we are So when it comes to our identity, our true identity, it's vital that we look to the Holy Spirit to tell us who he says we are. And this is is who we are. For followers of Jesus, the truest thing about us, this is the truest thing about us, is our identity as his loved kids and our position in his forever family. Just take that in for a minute. Maybe you've never heard that before. This is the truest thing about us if we are children of God. And the Spirit proclaims this very identity over Jesus in Matthew 3 when he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The problem is that many of us don't experience living in the reality of this identity. Um, This looks like being God's kid, our position, versus feeling like God's kid, our experience, right? So there's this disconnect, being God's kid versus feeling like God's kid. And the Spirit, He wants to bring us freedom to live into our truest identity. Last week, David Wade shared about this freedom, hopefully you were here, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? So why then do so many of God's kids, why do we experience slavery to fear and false identities instead? Uh, This is is not freedom. I'm really passionate about what we're talking about um, this morning. It's deeply personal to me for two reasons. Uh, one, many, for many years, this was me. Uh, I was a child of God who struggled to experience the reality of my identity in his family. And I'm going to share a little bit more about my story later this morning. But for many years, uh, I lived with a deep fear that God didn't really love me or want me. And that fear kept me living in bondage into a spirit of forsakenness or a false identity. So this was me, and then two. This isn't just part of my story. Throughout my years in ministry, the most common question I hear people like struggling with. uh, There's an angst in this struggle. Is this question: Does God really like me? Do I do I belong to Him? And maybe you've asked that question. The truth is, so many of God's kids. Don't feel or live like God's kids. This makes the spirit sad. This makes me sad. Um, Last year, one of my friends adopted two Ukrainian orphans. Uh, The kids were five and seven, they were siblings. And I'll I'll never forget a few weeks after they had brought them home, she gave me a call and she was just sad. Uh, The littlest one, the five-year-old, was just really struggling to adjust. Um, She was obsessed with their kitchen pantry, constantly running to it and hiding food. Uh, And so knowing that she had lived hungry for a lot of years, they were trying to just build some food security for her. Uh, Give her free roam. She had free roam to this pantry. She could run in and get something anytime she wanted and, and they communicated this free roam to her but she was uh, still hiding food. And one night they had even found food like in the bottom of our covers in her bed. Uh, she was sleeping with hidden food. So while most of us don't relate to hiding food, I see our stories in that story, in her story. Because God's given us love. He's given us identity. He's given us freedom. Security for followers of Jesus position in this forever family. But when we go through life without experiencing our identity as God's kids, when we don't feel like God's kids, it's like we're living with full access to a stocked pantry and hiding food in our beds, right? So in some Christian circles, people refer to this as living with a spirit of orphanhood. You might have heard that phrase or an orphan spirit. But what that term really means is living, feeling forsaken, abandoned, rejected, disconnected from from God our Father. Uh, the struggle for Jesus followers to experience our true identity, this isn't just something we're dealing with in 2022 after the, you know, um, internet has come into play. Thousands of years ago, Paul was writing to the Romans and because they also needed to be reminded of God's truth and promise surrounding identity. So throughout Romans 8, we see Paul declare how the Trinity, the triune God, weaves together the story of our adoption. We've been won by the Son, adopted by the Father, and led by the Spirit. This is the Lord three in one, a good, kind wise authority, making a way for us to live fully and freely as children of God, like we sang about in that song this morning. So let's just jump into our text because Romans 8 doesn't just tell the story of our adoption, it shows God's heart for his kids to experience this story, our story, as reality. So so join with me, uh, verse 14. Notice right away, verse 14 says those who are led by God's Spirit are God's kids. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? We talked about this in our Galatians series. You might remember Galatians 5. Uh, When we become a follower of Jesus, we become God's kid. And God's kids are no longer driven by the flesh, the the hunger within us that wants to pull us away from becoming the person we're supposed to be, a person like Jesus. But instead, God's kids, we walk by the Spirit. When we become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters our lives, he gives us a new heart, and now our deepest desire is God himself. So verse 14 is saying God's kids live like live with a hunger to be like Jesus, and it's the Spirit who leads us to do this. And then, then we get to our reward. We get to verse 15. This is our reward as God's kids. This is what the Spirit wants to give us. Even this morning, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father, Father. Belonging to God is our reward, church. This is sonship. And I know, sonship, it's not a term that we use today, um, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful term because it means we belong to the Father. David talked about this belonging last week, right? He said um, that we belong to someone. We belong to God. We're God's kids, We've been adopted into his forever family. And Paul is writing to the whole church here. He's writing to men, women, children. So sonship, it's not a gender-specific term that only applies to sons. The word applies to all followers of Jesus, sexes and ages. It means we followers of Jesus, we're God's kids, we belong to him and the Spirit, He longs to help us experience this belonging. Look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But remember the stocked pantry and the hidden food, many of us still live with a disconnect. It's that being God's kid, versus feeling like God's kid. And we live with a disconnect between the reality of our position in God's family and our experience of that reality. And Paul understood this disconnect. That's why throughout his epistles, he's, already, he's always saying, become who you already are. He says this in Philippians 3.16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Become who you already are. And Paul points to this disconnect in our passage today when he says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit doesn't want us living in fear and family, when we live into this disconnect, um, our ability to receive identity from the spirit becomes hindered. Uh, let, I'm going to explain. I'm going to share a little story. Years ago, I was leading worship when the John Mark McMillan song, How He Loves, came out. Do you guys know that song, How He Loves? In uh, churches everywhere, we're singing it. Our team was asking to bring it in, but every time I went to sing the main line, "He loves us, oh how He loves us," I just I couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't sing it because I wasn't sure I was included in the "us." I wanted the words to be true, like I wanted them to be true. But everything in me just felt like I couldn't sing that line, and so uh, when the team would sing it, it was like this line going on in my head uh, instead, an alternate line, I love him, oh, I love him. And, and I just, I couldn't make myself believe the words. Um, I knew that I loved God. I knew that was true. I loved him but I was having a hard time believing that he could love me because there were things he didn't stop in my life um, that had caused me pain. And so can I be vulnerable with you for a minute? I suffered a lot of abuse in my childhood. My home checked all the boxes for all the kinds of abuses, all of them. There were five kids in my house, um, two parents. I was the oldest of five kids. But for most of my childhood, I felt alone, unprotected, unseen, forsaken. My dad was a pastor, and most of the abuse came from him, and I know, that's just gross. But out of all the wounds he inflicted, the ones that hurt the deepest were the words that he spoke that left me feeling like I didn't matter, like I wasn't wanted like my very existence was wrong. And isn't that shame when we feel like the the essence of who we are is just wrong. Like we are the culmination of things that have either happened to us or things we've done. That's shame, right? But despite my home life, I grew up loving God. Uh, I loved singing songs to God. I loved being around the people of God. Being at church was so much better than being home. Church was safe and people were kind. And I heard the Bible preached every week and I believed the words. Hearing them always made me feel hopeful, like it stirred something up in me. Even as like a little girl, I remember hearing the word and just coming alive. It made me feel hope that there was so much, something so much better than what I knew. So fast uh, fast forward decades later, I was married, I have three kids, I'm on staff at a church, and I'm leading worship. I'd been walking with God for a lot of years at this point. And, And I'm thankful he'd done a lot of healing in my life. I was in love with Jesus. I was in love with his church. I was spending my life serving him and and I was still living with the disconnect that we talked about earlier. I was still living with this disconnect. I believed God's promises were true, but deep down I questioned if they were true for me. I felt forsaken. And I'm going to share a little bit more later about how the Spirit healed this forsakenness in me at the end of our message. But church, first, I want us to see. I want us to see that living with this disconnect, it's not what the Spirit wants. But it is exactly what the enemy of our age wants. He wants us to live with this disconnect. Satan wants to distort the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see God, so that we will fear coming close to God. He wants us to live as slaves to that fear. like we That's the fear we, we read in our verse today. Because if we fear coming close to God, we won't cry, Abba, Father. We won't experience being loved by him. And God wants his children to know and experience him. This is 1 John 4, 7, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Or John ten twenty seven, my sheep know my voice. Church, God wants his children to know him. So when we live with the disconnect, feeling forsaken, neglected, isolated, when this happens, we begin to live into lies, instead of our beloved child reality. It's like um, psychologist David Benner says, it's not so much that we tell lies as that we live them. We form false identities as sophisticated coping mechanisms to help us feel like we belong. And instead of living into a spirit of sonship or adoption like we talked about, we can live into these false identities or some people call them false spirits. We can live into a spirit of rejection, competition, performance, just to name a few. Uh, Maybe you found yourself there. I wanna just go over a couple of them this morning. A spirit of rejection. This is living with a perpetual sense of feeling unwanted. Um, it can look like this. It's like every time your friends are too busy to hang out or you see pictures on Instagram of a party that you're not at, uh, well, they must not like me, right? Um, or I don't matter to them. Living with a spirit of rejection, it's, it's, it's different than actually being rejected. When we live with the spirit, it's like we're seeing all our relationships through this lens already. We're living into the lie that we deserve to be rejected. We're always waiting for the shoe to drop in our relationships. And um, I think of fifth grade PE class. I was not the coolest kid in fifth grade PE class. And I think of the team captains, and I always had this like, fear like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be last. I'm going to be the very last kid they pick. And living with a spirit of reject- rejection, it can be like this fifth grade PE class, right? Um, except for we can view God as one of the team captains, and, and we feel like there's no way he's going to call my name. The lies that will always be overlooked. There's always someone better. God could never want me. Or a spirit of competition. Living with a perpetual drive to be better than everyone else. Uh, forget being last. We're gonna be first at everything, right? No one's gonna leave us stuck waiting in the lineup. At first we dominated fifth grade PE class, and now we're like running the company and next up the world. Um, Because when we are at the top, it feels secure. And at the top, we can get people's attention. And at the top, we can maybe get God's attention. And if we view God through this lens, it's like, um, do you remember the game of Hungry, Hungry Hippos? All of those hippos that you push down their mouth and they eat the marbles? It can be like this game. Just get the most, get them first, gobble it all up before it's gone. That's how we can see God's love. Or a spirit of performance. Uh, Last one, spirit of performance. Living with the perpetual pressure... Of perfection and earning favor. Of course, we would never go through life like it's a game of Hungry Hippos because that would be rude, that would be wrong, and we do the right thing always. Good grades, check, right? Good college, check. Find a spouse, check. You guys get the list. It goes on. In, in this mentality, in this false identity, we can drive ourselves into the ground trying to earn it all through our performance, right? Uh, Nothing in life is given, everything is earned, and we can believe the lie that we need to earn God's love too, or that we even can earn it, because we can't. So here's the question. Here's the question this morning why do we hide behind these false identities, these facades? We're children of God. We, we can read the truest thing about us. Why do we hide behind these facades? And we hide because we feel shame. And we don't have to look beyond the first page of the Bible to see shame. Uh, sin led to shame, which leads to hiding and performing. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis 2.25, or you can just look on the screen. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The author of Genesis could have said that the man and woman were naked, and they felt no sadness. Or he could have said they were naked and felt no fear, but he said they were both naked and felt No shame. God intended for us to live in a world absent of shame. It was never part of his plan for us. But Satan, he launched an attack on our relationship with God and on our identity as his children through sin and shame. So Satan, he came lying and enticing and Adam and Eve, they wanted what they didn't have, and they sinned, and then shame entered our story. Shame was one of the first consequences to sin. Look at Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Genesis 3-7, you could just see the contrast of unashamed, sin, shame. So notice the very first action Adam and Eve took after realizing they'd sinned was to try to cover their nakedness, to try to hide. And now we're born into a world where shame resides. And in the lyrics of an Abbott brother, brother song, they write, shame, boatloads of shame, day after day, more of the same. Please take it off. Please make it stop. There's this natural impulse, like the song says, to just take it off. Make it stop. Get away from the shame. And the thing is, we have, we're really good at understanding the shame that's, that comes from the sin we commit. We're really good at understanding that kind of shame. But it's not just the sin we commit that causes shame okay are you ready for this it's not just the sin we commit that causes shame Dr. Gary Breshears he says all sin causes us to feel shame because all sin is defiling hang with me a second I know this is this might even be new for some of you Uh, this means it's not just sin done by us that leaves us feeling dirty We can feel the effects of shame when sin has been committed against us or in front of us. So I know this is heavy, Um, but hear me out. Three types of sin, sin done by us, sin done against us, sin done in front of us. Uh, So the first one, sin done by us. We all get this one, and maybe we looked at porn, we had too much to drink. We gossiped, we lied, we cheated, we stole. We did something wrong and we know it was wrong. And now we just feel bad, right? That's sin done by us Um, or sin done to us. And I know this one is hard. So listen, please, please listen to my heart here. For years, this was me. Sin done to us, abuse, discrimination, rape. It's ugly, This is not God's heart for his kids. This is not his heart for his kids. God hates it when evil things are done or happen to his kids. And I I want us to just really hear this. Feeling shame over sin done to us does not mean that we are guilty of sin. It means sin has hurt us. Sin done to us or against us, it leaves us feeling dirty, too. And it causes shame because its effects leave these wounds in our souls. I want to be really crystal clear here. I'm not telling the victim of abuse that shame is in any way a result of their sin. No way. But some of Satan's most effective work is to cause us to feel shame through the actions of others. This is one of the ways he comes against our identity as children of God. This is one of the ways we can end up in fear and hiding. And so um, that's sin done to us. And then number three, sin done in front of us or in our presence. Uh, Have you ever sat in a movie theater and there's like an explicit scene or graphic violence, some evil, right? And during the scene, you just want to close your eyes, but it's not even scary. You just want to close your eyes or it's like, this is the perfect time to go take a bathroom break. Um, When we watch sin, it just makes us feel icky and we can leave the theater feeling like we need a moral shower. Uh, This is sin done in front of us. So three types of sin. Are you tracking with me here? That was a lot. Um, The point is whether our shame is the result of sin that we've committed or sin that's been committed against us or in front of us or sin that's been committed against us or in front of us, the effect is it all makes us feel dirty. It can make us want to run or hide like Adam and Eve. And that's why we end up hiding behind those false identities we talked about earlier. Remember like a spirit of performance or competition or rejection. We live into these false identities as a way to hide. So sin, shame, hiding. What does any of this have to do with? Adoption, sonship. Our identity is God's kids, right? So much. because hiding is the posture of shame that Satan uses to keep us from experiencing our identity as God's child. Hiding is the posture of shame that Satan uses to keep us from experiencing or receiving our identity as God's child. So this is the cycle, sin, Shame, hiding, and it just repeats. And as it keeps repeating, we find ourselves in bondage, right? Hiding can keep us in bondage. The key to break the cycle isn't to be sinless. We know we can't do that on this side of heaven, and that can evoke more shame. But the key is to come out of hiding. And this is what God does for us, church. He rescues us from our hiding. He came to Adam and Eve in the garden. God came to Adam and Eve when they were hiding, and He is still coming for us today. This is the good news. Through the cross, the triune God made a way for our posture of shame to be removed, for us to come out of hiding. For us to come home, for us to come close, for us to be his kids, and, and experience living like his kids. Freedom. This is the good news. Because of the cross, we do not have to live feeling forsaken, amen? This is the good news because of the cross. The deep meaning of the cross, this is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says the deep meaning of the cross of Christ is that there is no suffering on earth that is not borne by God. Jesus' suffering was for our healing. He paid for our healing. So look at the scene uh, right before Jesus died. He's on the cross. And it's just moments before his last breaths, and he cries out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so we wouldn't be. He was forsaken so we wouldn't be. Through love, the father sent his only son to become our rescue. Through love, the Son willingly gave his life, being forsaken so we wouldn't be. And through love, the Spirit brings us into God's family, and he testifies to us. He testifies to our spirit that we belong to the Father. This is Romans 8. So, church, do you feel forsaken? Do you feel forsaken? Look to the cross. This is the good news. At the cross, we hear the Father saying, you are my daughter. You are my son. This is the truest thing about you. I want you. I choose you. You belong to me. I love you. He gave his life for this belonging. In love, this is Ephesians 1, 5 through 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, in love. And then look at 1 John 3.1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Don't miss this. It's in love. And I don't need to tell you that we need more than theological confessions of truth to help us experience this kind of love. I could could preach to you all day, you could preach to yourself, and at some point we need more than these theological confessions of truth, these words. We need more than that to help us experience the love of Jesus. Dan Braga, pastor of Neighbors Church, he says, Theology has to make its way into our biology. I love that. We need the Spirit to testify with our spirit that the truest thing about us is loved child of the Most High God. And there are so many ways the Spirit does this in our life. Practically, just to name a few, he does this through scripture when we read his promises, when he highlights a, a verse to us and we read it and it jumps out on the page. He does this through community as we reparent each other in community or, or we maybe like fill the holes that we didn't have um, in our own families. We fill those holes through each other in community as we reparent and love each other. He does it through community. He does it through Sabbath. As we just take time to unplug from the voices, from the noise, from all those voices competing. He does it through healing prayer, silence, solitude, generosity, so many ways. But before we land the plane this morning, I want to quickly point to one tool, one way that I've seen the Spirit work in my life and in so many others to do this, to minister identity. So you with me? I told you I'd share a little bit more about my story, about how God delivered me from a posture of shame, from that spirit of forsakenness, how he brought me out of the disconnect. Uh, And for me, this has been a process, not like a a one-time event, not a one and done. Uh, I'm still in this process. I wanna walk even more fully into that identity, right? So this is a process he does in our lives, but mainly for me, for me, the Spirit catapulted me into a deep process, a deep place of healing. I found freedom when I encountered the God who sees. The God who sees. Remember when we were talking about sin and shame and the, and the three types of sin that cause shame? Sin done by me, to me, in front of me. At the point in my life when I was struggling to sing the song lyrics, Uh, I knew that sin done by me um, needed to be, I needed to be, to confess that, to come close to God, to feel restoration with Jesus. I knew that. But not all confession is about taking responsibility for sin. Confession is simply putting words to what is in our hearts. I'm going to explain. God invites us to confession to tell, him, to, tell, uh, to tell him. God invites us to confession to tell him about sin that has hurt us too. So years ago, I was praying with an older lady in community. Like we said, in many ways, I was praying with an older lady that, in many ways, God was using to reparent the adult version of me. And um, we were asking for God to just bring me healing from shame. And she said, Bree, have you put words to your wounds? Have you told God what hurts? Church, we need to wrap our, our minds and our hearts around this expanded view of confession because confession is a tool that God has given us to break the bondage of the cycle sin, shame, hiding. Confession is a tool. It's a good thing It's not a have to, it's a that we get to. And incorporating this expanded view of confession as a practice in our lives, this is vital. This is vital to the process of the Spirit ministering the experience of identity to us. So hang in there with me, I'm going to explain. I do not want you to think that I'm saying, again, that abuse victims need to confess sin because they've done anything wrong. So please, let's not have any confusion over that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that all three types of sin, uh, because they leave us feeling dirty or shameful, God invites us to bring all of these types of sin into the light. He invites us to confession because when something is in the light, we can be set free from it. Confession is a bridge from hiding to healing. And I can tell you this from my personal experience because God used the tool of confession, just putting words to what was in my heart. He used this to help heal my posture of shame, to bring me out of hiding and into his arms. In so many ways, confession, it's like it opens up this conduit of intimacy between us and the Father right? So when I put words to what was in my heart, when I told Jesus what hurt, what caused me shame, what I feared, that I wasn't sure if he loved me, that I was angry at him for what had happened to me, that I felt like he had left me. When I put words to that, there was nothing left in the dark festering. It was in the light, and I encountered the God who sees. This is one of God's names in the Bible, Elroy, the God who sees. Do you remember a few weeks ago when Aaliyah was talking about the woman at the well? And after the woman had encountered Jesus at the well, she went from this posture of hiding, going to the well when no one would see her, to running into the town to testify about what God had done. She felt seen by God, fully known by Him, and set free. When we feel seen by God, we are in the perfect posture to receive from God. The title of our series is Receive the Holy Spirit. These are Jesus' own words in John 20. So this morning, I want, uh, I want to invite you to receive from the Spirit. The Spirit wants to testify to His kids. He wants His kids to know and feel like they belong to Him. So first, if you're here this morning and this concept of being God's kid is new, and as we're talking about identity and belonging to somebody that loves us. Um, Maybe something in your heart is just like coming alive. And you're like, I want this. I wanna be God's kid. I wanna be in this forever family, to be seen and forgiven and known by a good father. This morning, I just wanna invite you to come home Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus is the way home to the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So today, this can be be yours. I'm just going to invite us to bow our heads right now. If you want this, I want to invite you to pray this with me. God, thank you for loving me, for seeing me, for inviting me into your family. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die and to make a way for me to be your child. And this morning I just confess that I need you, that I want you, that I want to be your child.